Welcome back to Flex Your Head, another special episode of Screen Therapy. On Flex Your Head, we take a breather from punk rock and mental health and explore classic punk albums, which I guess is good for mental health. So on this episode, we have Donald back for a glorious return. How's it going, Donald? Great. Great to be back. Yeah. Let us know what we're listening to today. We're listening to 2002's McCluskey Do Dallas by McCluskey. Flying is fearful of me And I covered my eyes when she told me the news Turning me on with my lightsaber cocksucking Alright, well first of all, welcome to the least listened to episode of all time <laughs> Flex your head <laughs> I'm just going to put that out there right away <laughs> McCluskey, one of those bands that people talk about but no one's really heard They're a band that uh, put out three albums And the one we're talking about today is called Do Dallas It was their second studio album and they released it on April of 2002, Two Pure Records out of UK. And then we will talk about later is that it's produced by Steve Albini and the band went to Chicago to record it. The people in the band, Andy Falcus, who is quite the character, we'll get there later as well. Vocals and guitar, Jonathan Chappelle or Chapel, let's go with Chapel, bass and vocals, and then Matthew Harding on drums. Donald, what do you think? What's your opening thoughts on this one? I mean, whenever we talk about this album or this band, <laughs> you're always like, nobody's ever heard of this. Nobody gives the crap about Mukowski. <laughs> They're all myth or legend, which is kind of funny because that's what Falkus says himself as well. But I always thought, I guess they were bigger than they actually were. And I was trying to figure out why the hell did I think this band was so big? And, you know, I think it's because, you know, at the time the album came out, AV Club, Pitchfork, both had it in their best of the year. And that was kind of the stuff I was reading at the time. I swear, it's amazing to think this because I don't think this song would make it on the radio now and definitely not get played on a morning show. But I'm sure Lightsaber Cocksucking Blues was getting played on morning radio in the UK at the time as well, which was what I was listening to. <laughs> so, you know, like these big online publications were saying it was the album of the year and Lightsaber Cocksucking Blues was on the radio, at least in my mind. <laughs> so, I always thought they were this huge band, but they don't have a single video on YouTube with over a million views and like nothing really even close. So yeah, you're right. They're one of those anomaly, anom- anomalies? anomalies that no one really, for some reason, knows about them. The thing that really strikes me is, I mean, this is essentially a way better version of the Pixies. And the Pixies are huge. I mean, they're one of the biggest alternative indie rocky bands of all time. And this band should have just blown them out of the water. They, I don't know if they're, I mean, I guess I would say they have influence there. I, I would imagine that Andy, when he started McCluskey, Pixies would have been one of the go-to influences. But I mean, so was all the bands that were coming out of yeah. Chicago, like Shellac and Big Black and these bands. So, And that's who he mentions and compares the band to a lot. And yeah. whether or not he made that connection himself or he's picking up on what reviewers have said, because, you know, in that initial Pitchwork review, they compare the band to Pixies and then sort of following on from there, it's like every yeah. interview, Falkus is saying like, yo, we're sped up Pixies. I always thought College and Rock was a piss take on Pixies and their song UMass and the whole idea that Pixies were the original college rock band. So maybe there's <laughs> something there as well. <laughs> oh, I thought it was uh, a slagging off of the NME. <laughs> Indie rock or punk, this band to me is a punk band. There's no question. Does it really matter? 
the energy there is a punk energy, very sarcastic and satirical. Yeah, categorization, especially in punk, gets pretty dumb when you're dealing with hundreds of subgenres. I think it's funny that Falkus calls them a pop band because, uh, you know, last time we were uh, talking on this podcast, we were talking about White Long, which is like far and away, uh, you know, a, a loud, abrasive punk band. And, they, you know, their lead singer also considers herself a, a pop songwriter. I thought that was kind of funny. I don't know. I guess all punk singers with uh, delusions of grandeur consider themselves pop stars. But. <laughs> <laughs> the bass playing on this album, I want to talk about that for a second. Wow, like the bass tone on this record, the bass playing. I don't know if you've seen any of the live footage, but <laughs> it's just Jonathan Chappelle, Chapel, whatever. What a what an amazing bass player. I know he went on to form some other bands later on after McCluskey broke up, but yeah, that's just the perfect bass tone. Yeah, it's wonderful. <laughs> I don't know what else to say. Yeah. We'll just leave it at that. Yeah. So we've got 14 songs. Well, let's say 14 and a half. We'll uh, dissect what's happening at the end of the album there. But 14 songs. We mentioned Lightsaber Cocksucking Blues, which is the opening song. And then the One Two Punch. After that, No New Wave, No Fun. And then College and Rock is the third song. I mean, it just goes from there. There's a few, I wouldn't call them duds, but there's a few songs that aren't <laughs> for me quite as great as the rest. What songs uh, stand out for you? College and Rock definitely stands out. To Hell With Good Intentions, I think, is a great song. Fuck This Band is probably the funniest one on there. (laughs) I remember at the time this came out, uh, I think Alan is a Cowboy Killer was one of the songs that everybody mentioned as their favorite, which I wasn't as into. I think I am more so now. And then the other one that stands out is uh, Gareth Brown Says stands out because um, there's a modern band called The Neutrals who put out a song last year called Gary Borthwick Says, which (laughs) feels very much like the empathetic version of Gareth Brown Says. (laughs) (laughs) The humor in here with song titles like Cliche Application Form and The World Loves Us and Is Our Bitch. (laughs) They use the C word a few times in the lyrics. They definitely swear a lot. Uh, Funny in, in Fuck This Band where they say this band swears too much through the lens of maybe a North American listener that wouldn't necessarily know where this humor is coming from. And, you know, this is in early 2000s as well, right? So we live in a totally different world now. I could see why people would be offended by this album, not just because it's screamy and unhinged, but also the lyrics are very uh, borderline problematic. One of the big points about the band is how much can we push the envelope? Oh, yeah, for sure. And there's a great description of their music in a German fanzine called Ox. They basically call it nihilistic anger with needy, grumpy, and hysterical vocals. And that's the best description, I think, of the album. If it's needy, grumpy, and hysterical, that's definitely it. And I think a lot of 2002 music and music writing was like that, too. Yeah. I love in Lightsaber, Cocksucking Blues, where he just starts screaming the lyrics, but he doesn't really know. It kind of just trails off into nonsense, but (laughs) he's got this thing where he he hits this pitch, but then he gets to such a point where he can't continue on with the projecting in the throat, so it just kind of (laughs) goes 
but he's still <laughs> saying the words somehow. It's really, really funny. And yeah, I love it's it. almost like pantomime kind of stuff. This sort of gives up. It's like, F this. I'm just going to, you know, who cares about the lyrics anymore? I'm just going to try my best to like force out the sounds that kind of could replicate the lyrics. <laughs> Or is it, do you think you survive where he's just yelling Tony Baker at the end of it? Yeah, yeah. Who's Tony Baker? Some like uh, TV presenter or something like that, I think. Speaking of which, did you see that footage on that thing called the Pop Factory where they play it to hell with good intentions? It's hilarious because the announcer says, they put the heart in hardcore. It's McCluskey. <laughs> but then the people in the crowd have no idea what they're getting into. Like it's, it's all these sort of like clean, like shiny people that are like in the front, like kind of dancing, like faux slam dancing, moshing. <laughs> but they just don't <laughs> even know what's going on. And of course, you know, with bands like this where they go on live TV, they're not pulling punches at all they're just like going full on and yeah they know they're not going to get invited back yeah exactly <laughs> yeah so if you can find that it's totally worth checking out i really like chases it's the second to last song it's really cool it stands out as being a little bit different than the rest Froggy kind of stagger step going for it, which I think is kind of cool. It almost shows promise for what would come next with their next album, their final album, which I'm not going to say the name of because it's just too confusing. <laughs> and then they broke up after that. So it's always cool when an album has a song that points to where the band might go. It's funny in later interviews because I found one where he said our songs are simple to almost to the point of satire. And it was one of the reasons why John left because, you know, a song like uh, The World Loves Us and Is Our Bitch is one riff. And <laughs> He got bored with playing the same riff over and over again. These songs are really simplistic. It's one of the things that I might say would be a bit of a drawback, especially on this album, Do Dallas. There's quite a lot of songs that are hung on one riff through the whole thing, and it's the whole quiet, loud, quiet, loud formula that a lot of bands in this genre made made into huge careers. But there's something about it that's, it's almost like they're testing us with that simplicity kind of poking at us and saying how much can you handle <laughs> like, like college and rock's not really a song is it it's just like it's just two like little riffs on repeat with some screaming <laughs> it's the screaming that does it oh i love the screaming yeah exactly so i found a couple covers bully the band bully who is uh led by alicia bonano she's actually on the scream therapy podcast a couple years ago bully did a cover of lightsaber cocksucking blues which is actually pretty good
Let's get into some of the lyrics. He sings, one of those bands got paid, I heard. One of those bands has fake tits, yeah. And that's the line that sticks out. (laughs) My favorite from that one is the little kid pissed on the big kid's porch. He thinks he's amazing, but he's rubbish, of course. You know, is that a a self-deprecating dig at himself? He's always kind of throwing rocks at uh, bigger bands. I like in To Hell With Good Intentions where he says, my love is bigger than your love. We take more drugs than a touring funk band. (laughs) I love my dad is bigger than your dad. He's got eight cars and a house. And and I don't know if the line is Ireland or Isla, but uh, yeah, either way. Actually, this is funny too, because I mean, Andy Falkus having an accent, a lot of bands when they sing with accents, they just sort of drops and they just sound like they're American or something. But with him, it's very pronounced. So a lot of the times I couldn't really understand what he was saying until I saw the lyrics. I always thought it was one of those bands got paid ahead. I always thought it was like, you know, they got paid in advance. They got given a disbursement. That was a bad <laughs> <Yeah>. thing. <laughs> the whole pay to play thing, right? The way the pitch of his voice goes up when he says their hair was a fucking yeah. delight. This, this, <laughs> just, this slays me. It's easy to say now that train is and the hair was a fucking delight. But one of those bands got paid One of those One of the things that he had said in something called News OK, which what the hell is that? He said, it's always meant to be pop music, only it's fed through the filter of self-respect. That's pretty good. News OK also was quoted as saying that it was the most hilarious record the Pixies never made. So Do Dallas was the best Pixies record, I guess. We talked about Steve Albini producing it, or I guess recording it, because he never really used the, the tag of produced by. And you can hear the room. I mean, you can hear his room in Chicago, his studio. You can hear that same echoey drum sound. When you compare it to other Albini recorded albums, there's definitely that sound of his. PJ Harvey's Rid of Me and the Pixies albums and the Pegboy records. And, you know, it's got that same sound. Funnily enough, I think the other recordings that are as good or better than these ones would be the John Peel recordings. If Albini hadn't recorded this, would anybody be talking about McCloskey? Would they have reissued the album? Would they be going back on tour? Or would they have just been, you know, left in the pages of News OK? <laughs> News OK, yeah. Actually, I'm just looking at Albini actually recorded the third album as well. OK, yeah. To me, it didn't have the same thickness to it. I guess we should broach the subject of the title of the record, a spinoff of the 1978 porno film Debbie Does Dallas. I was always confused by that because shouldn't it be called McCluskey Does Dallas, not McCluskey Do Dallas? <laughs> because McCluskey is a singular thing right it's not (laughs) I think McCluskey does Dallas sounds better I I suppose so (laughs) did you hear the there's the triple album compilation thing called McCluskeyism did you get into that at all before we did this I listened to uh, some of the live tracks off that yeah Yeah, the live tracks are just amazing I haven't heard a vocal performance like that on a live record since Meg Patton on a live record it's just I think it's funny when bands do that, where you see them live and you're expecting to hear the album and the album's already harsh sounding and then they, you see them live and it's just like, whoa, like he's just not even, <laughs> he's not even trying to like follow the melody line of the song. My love is bigger than your love. We drink more than 
it's funny you know i mean generally i hate live albums sloan's four nights of the palais royales maybe the exception and honestly i think again uh, mccluskey's peel sessions are better than those live recordings on mccluskeyism just they're like a little bit more like immediate or something which is odd because they're they're in a studio but yeah so you want to do some youtube comments sure (laughs) (laughs) I got to put this out there. These aren't necessarily the best ones we've done on this podcast, but uh, <laughs> okay. but there is there is some funny ones. And there also is no YouTube version of the full album. So we're looking at comments from individual songs. Oh, yeah. yeah. Which I thought was weird because pretty much every album now is on there as a full album. So yeah. maybe just no one's bothered at this point. So this was a comment under the Lightsaber Cocksucking Blues little video they have, which is kind of this weird animated by Edward Clark, and it was two years ago, which quite recent, actually, <laughs> thinking about it. And uh, he must be a soothsayer here because he just says, this is still a banger in 2027. <laughs> <laughs> Another YouTube user named Ren, 10 years ago. OMG, I remember being in seventh grade and hanging out at my best friend's house in the dark in the middle of the night and turning the volume all the way up at the beginning of the song because we thought it was just the cat playing quietly in the background and both of us nearly dying of a heart attack when the singer started screaming. (laughs) (laughs) That's fantastic. I can totally picture that moment. I think I've had those moments. This is a comment under Do You Think to Survive, the song video again. Did you watch all those weird song videos with the animated like cats and faces screaming? And Yeah, I've seen the Hell with Intentions. I can't remember if that was just a meme at the time to put like giant polydent teeth and cat's mouths and then make videos it might have been I, I i can't remember back that far i could picture andy being behind a computer trading this to go with the song <laughs> uh yeah so a comment under the do you think to survive song video by daniel vanest and it was 11 years ago i found that most of these comments were in the 11 to 17 years ago range daniel says sure don't sound like mccluskey to me they're good and i like them but why the ruse I don't know what that means, but it was funny. And on the official McCluskey YouTube channel, they have all the comments turned off, which I thought was interesting because they're all about being goofy and sarcastic. So they just didn't want anybody else to be that way, I guess. (laughs) He does seem to have a bit of an ego. Yeah, you think so, eh? Yeah. Oh, yeah. What are some of your final thoughts for this album? You know, it's one that I uh, listen to like almost every day back when it came out and uh, even years afterwards. So despite the fact that, you know, as we said at the top of the podcast, you know, it's very much like rooted in a 2002 aesthetic of just being kind of nihilistic and petty. (laughs) Um, I don't know. I think it's had some staying power and uh, that a lot of the songs are still pretty funny. Um, He seems like one of those people that you hang out with and everything is just a laugher no matter what. You know, you and I know a couple of those people as well. Yeah. He seems like that. I mean, obviously... Maybe the kind of person you wouldn't want to hang out with too long in public because he probably pushes a lot of buttons. I could see him getting into a lot of fights. Definitely, yeah. I would have killed to see them during this era live. I would definitely like hop on a train to see them now, and hopefully you come with me. <laughs> yeah, I had a ticket to see them in Vancouver. Oh, wow. And was there, but I got sick the night of the show, unfortunately. Oh, God, that sucks. We could see them in Australia, though. They've, <laughs> they're touring in oh, really? 2024, yeah. All right. Who's paying for the tickets? Well, if they're touring now, I mean, hopefully we'll we'll see them somewhere within reach. To see them back then when they recorded that live mm-hmm. material, 
for Dudalis, and that would have just been so killer. I love Jonathan's bass playing. His tone was amazing. His onstage energy and the way he held himself was super good. It reminds me of the guy, you know, Archers of Loaf? i uh, never watched any of their videos or seen them live or anything, though. No. Yeah, so the bass player in Archers of Loaf is that same kind of character where he's just jumping around, but it's not really always going with the way the song's going. Like, <laughs> it's kind of like in his own little world. No, but uh, I would totally encourage people to go and watch that Pop Factory live footage on that weird TV show because the dichotomy between the band and how they're playing the song and, and the energy they're giving versus the crowd who are just like, Watching and here now to play a song. They put the hard in hardcore. They're the Cardiff Face Walkers McCluskey with the hell to good intentions. See you next week. It's pretty hilarious and exciting. I mean, I find this band really exciting to watch and listen to. I like the fact that it's just so grating that people around you might be turned off by it. I like music like that. <laughs> you know, my other thought on this band, I think, is, you know, Falcus seems to be building his own mythology a lot, even now, where he talks about them being losers off stage and how nobody was into us and we only sold out six shows on our international tour <laughs> and yada, yada, yada. You know, as much as I think he puts on this persona of, you know, this guy in this forgotten band that never made any money. I mean, you know, they, they were critically acclaimed. They had fans. They sold out shows and did have like a, a meaningful place in, in rock history, even if it was sort of fleeting. Yeah. And I think they put out one of the best albums of all time. Do Dallas. I mean, you can't really find 20 or 30 other albums to put ahead of it. It's, this has been one of my favorites since I first heard it, and I can't see it uh, stop being my favorite because it's a real earworm of an album. It's just you got to listen to it again. You got to listen to it again. Yeah. And uh, thanks to you, I'm back into that vortex again. Thanks for being here, Donald. I really appreciate it. I just want to let people know about the Scream Therapy podcast, which is up to episode 70 now. You can check it out at ScreamTherapyHQ.com. Uh, there's information about my new book that just came out, Scream Therapy, A Punk Journey Through Mental Health, which is a nonfiction about my own story and stories of others. And there's also a Scream Therapy store now where you can get some t-shirts. That's all at ScreamTherapyHQ.com. So again, thank you so much for being here, Donald. It was great to chat with you about McCluskey's Dude Alice. Thanks, Jason. It was great to be on again. Mm-hmm.